I will never stop being amazed by the types of conversations you can have when both people go into them with like a strong foundation of humility, curiosity, and thoughtfulness, right? There's just such an opportunity to like explore each other's beliefs, question our assumptions, examine interesting aspects of life in like this open and honest way that is just so efficient, so enjoyable from where I sit and just so beneficial. I say it all the time, but I say it all the time because it's true. To me, that is where the learning happens, in those moments, in those conversations. That's where I uncover insights about myself and the world around me that I never could have otherwise. And that's why I enjoyed this conversation so much with my guest, Lisa. Um, we had that type of conversation discussing fundamental questions about life, like how do you know where your authentic life or authentic you stops and the inauthentic you begins? Right? Is there ever a justifiable reason to not help someone in need? How do you balance showing yourself grace and holding yourself accountable? Questions like this that kind of centered around her core value or most important value of authenticity. And just as a way of background, so Lisa's a parenting author. She's wrote, written a bunch of books. Um, she's a nationally syndicated columnist. She's a radio show host. Um, and most recently, she focuses a lot of her time as a crisis counselor for uh, the Trevor Project who has a mission to end suicide among LGBTQ young people. And unfortunately for Lisa, she has a long history with suicide, as you'll hear on the show. Um, it may be most notably, or, or, or the one that stood out the most in the conversation was her own father, who died when she was 10, but she didn't find out until 30 years later that he actually took his own life. So we ended the conversation talking a lot about suicide and the work she's doing now. And it kind of sounds like a funny question, but led to a really interesting discussion around what her relationship is with suicide now, how it's evolved over the years, given what she learned about her father and some other people in her life who, who committed suicide or, or took their lives. Um, and just hearing her talk about the things she's learned as a crisis counselor, right? Hearing her share the insights that she's gotten to, to, to learn about from some of the most intense conversations you can ever imagine talking to people that are contemplating the idea of, of taking their lives um, was just unbelievably powerful. So I can't thank Lisa enough for, for being on the show, for the way she approached the conversation, and maybe most importantly, for all the great work that she's doing. So I hope you guys enjoy this one as, as much as I did. All right, Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Super psyched to talk to you today. Um, I love to just jump right in. So I will do that and ask the question of what's the value that's most important to you. Yeah, no, Terry, I'm glad to be here. So happy to be here. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time. I think for me, it it always kind of goes back to to the the singular value of authenticity mm. as a human being, because I think that's that's really like the central tenant to everybody's existence. Either either we are intrinsically and externally who we portray ourselves as, or we're not. And, and I think how we show up in the world in every aspect of how we show up in the world is so directly related to whether we are our authentic selves or whether we're not. So, um, and, and I've, I've done an awful lot of work myself personally, especially in the last couple of years to try and make sure that that matches. Do you know what I mean? The inside is is very much matching the outside. And and um, I mean, I know it's oversimplified to say what you see is what you get, but that's exactly what I mean. Mm. Well, that's I love that. My, my value, I did the first episode of the show for myself. Authenticity was, was pretty much what my value was as well. So I mentioned we might get philosophical. Maybe I'll jump right there right away. Sure. What is our authentic self? Which sounds like a strange question, but like, 
there's so there's genetics, there's lived mm-hmm. experience, there's influences that we get from from different people. I often find myself wondering, like, if you strip it all away and just get to the essence of who we are, is it just a blank slate that's neutral and we're formed by all those things? Or do you think there is like a true essence to who we are? Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally speaking, I think we all kind of have a blueprint. And I think it it all does trace back for sure to our, you know, our genetics and, and you know, environmental issues and, you know, how we were raised, who we were raised by, all, all of those things that, you know, the whole DNA code for sure. But, you know, I, I also think that, our authenticity as human beings is is fluid. It's mm. a fluid state because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know about myself. Um, I'm certainly not the same person now that I was when I started. You know, I've I've learned so much about myself and how I operate in the world and how I function best in the world and how I want to represent myself in the world. And I I feel like. I don't want to say it's almost like a it's chameleon like mm. in some in some ways, but I think it is in the way that so much is pre-wired, yes, but then so much, you know, we kind of pick and choose and we, you know, we see things that we like and we emulate those things. And, you know, and we're we're, you know, we're inspired by certain things and then we go out in the world and try and create that same inspiration. So I mm. think I think it's a lot of different things that combine to create that authenticity mm. but i definitely believe it's <clears throat> that's interesting because I, I i don't disagree i think you may very well be right but for my own journey of late where it's taken me i, I say this often like i i consider myself very much a recovering people pleaser which i think mm. is kind of symbolic of you know inauthentic life right you're trying to please other people you're not being yourself <clears throat> sometimes mm. i think of it for me though that it's it, it feels fluid but it's really me just trying to get back to what I'm supposed to be. Like it was always the same. It's just given the circumstance, the context, the different people I was engaging with, I would be that chameleon and be something else. But the journey for me has been like, what's really there? Like what learning about who I really am. So it feels like I'm changing, but in some ways I'm just getting back to the core of what I am. Does that resonate at all? Yeah, totally. It it does. It's you're, you're kind of unearthing yourself Mm. in, in some ways. You're just, you know, we're continuously, doing deeper and deeper dives into who we are. But at the same time, it's like, we can't possibly know when we're, for instance, um, young kids, or even when we're teens, or even when we're in college, you know, fundamentally, you know, our personalities are similar in so many ways to, to what they are as, you know, as we grow older, we're in our twenties and thirties and forties and so on. But, um, you know, I, you know, we, we definitely do start with, with kind of that blankish, slate of course Mm. and then I just I think we we continue to I don't know if it's a combination of digging down deeper or if it's layering more on to who we are Mm. um, and just kind of adding pieces as we go Um, and and maybe the discovery is is happening both within and outside we are discovering Mm. what external influences um, and messages and and people that we're connected with or exposed to are the ones that resonate with us. So then we, we, you know, we're, we're unearthing that at the same time that we're kind of grabbing them mm. and we're kind of internalizing those things and making them part of ourselves. So I think it's kind of a combo. Mm. It's interesting too. We both use the word resonate, which I think is the right word, but mm. I wonder if we press on that word, like what is the, as you think about it, and, and you've got a ton of experience with this, obviously. So I'd, I'd love to get into all of it, but what is the, like the gauge for you to know, like, yes, that's part of authentically who I am like the easy way to say it is like oh I like that 
mm-hmm. that must be a part of me. But what what is it? Is it something that makes you happy? Is it what makes you feel good? Like, what is it that if you go, if you don't use the word resonate, what is it that tells you that's something authentic to you? Yeah, I mean, and you're speaking just me personally as a sure. human being. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's, I mean, not to, again, not to oversimplify something, but I think that it's, it's what lights me up inside mm-hmm. or what, you know, it's what drives me. It's what motivates me. It's, it's what makes me want to show up for, for that thing or that experience or that person or that community, whatever, whatever it is, it's, um, it's that internal draw that we feel when we find a thing, when we find and we connect with a thing that we just know kind of innately that, that we belong with. Mm-hmm. And it's I mean? weird. Like words don't, it's words fail us sometimes with that, right? They to do. explain that. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's it's so, so much so that like the way you just explained it, which I think is perfectly right. It, 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 it always fascinates me. And again, I always, I speak for myself as much as anybody else. Like, why is that so hard for us then? Why is that so hard for us to just say, hey, that thing lights me up. I'm going to go in that direction. I'll tell you why. Because you meaning why is it so hard to commit to that? Um, commit's follow an interesting that? word. I was going to follow maybe like to 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 embrace it, right? Okay. In in theory, if that's the blueprint, if that's the thing we follow, like find the thing that lights you up, find the thing that makes you feel like, yes, I belong here it would seem as if so much more people should be happy and have joy in their lives and feel, you know, true to who they are and feel comfortable and confident, but many people don't again, myself included at times. Why do we, why do we struggle with that? You think? I, you know, in my own opinion, I really think that it's because we're so busy comparing ourselves as grounded as we may be as centered as we may be as confident and authentic. I'm going to go right back to that word and double back to that for a second. Even even in all of our authenticity and our confidence in who we are, who we believe ourselves to be, I think, I think we're all still so impact. I don't know if you want to use the word impacted or affected or jaded um, or challenged by the people who are out there in the world, maybe not doing the thing that, that is attracting us. And we're, we're second guessing ourselves because of that. I think in so many ways, even, even if we know it's a, if it's a great thing, it's a positive thing. It's, it's something that, you know, is widely supported or encouraged by other people. Still, there's that little voice in the back of your head. That's like, do I really belong here? Like, is that really, you know, is that what everybody else is doing? More Mm -hmm. people are doing this thing. Mm -hmm. Should I be doing that thing? Or should I be doing the thing that I have my eye on? So I think that there are all of these, these outside influences that, I don't want to say manipulate because they're not really manipulating our our thinking, but they're more impacting our mm-hmm. thinking. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it creates that that question and that um, maybe a little bit of a lack of confidence to just dive into that thing that we may truly believe is like our thing mm-hmm. or our space or our place. Is is that question ultimately at the root of it? Is what is it? Is it not? Am I good enough? Maybe am I good enough? But like is the authentic me okay? Like, should I be that? Because I think in the way you're explaining it, and and this resonates for me again, is like, there's times where I feel it. Like, yeah, that thing, that's for me. I feel that. I know that. I know that's me. But then that question you just said, it has, I guess at the root of that has to be the sense of like, but I don't want that to be me. Should that be me? Is that kind of what it comes to? I, I think it depends on the situation. I think it depends on the person. It, it depends on the thing that that we're we're talking about that's grabbed our focus. I, I think a lot of it can can be 
attributed to maybe imposter syndrome mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, like an over-exaggerated sense of imposter syndrome. Like, do I even belong here? Am I good enough to be in this space or to do this thing? Am I worthy? Am I, you know, we, we, we can question ourselves in, you know, 85 million different ways mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, chip away at our own sense of self and our, and, and our own justification for, for going after what we want to go after to be where we believe we, we should be. But it's, yeah, I think, I mean, look, I'm, I'm guilty of that for sure. I mean, you know, every time, um, every time I write another book or every time I write, um, you know, a, a column or a, do, do some, something, put something out there into the world. I've always got that little twang that's like, has someone said it better? Mm. You know, will somebody be more impactful? Um, did I cover all my bases? Mm. You know, am I using the right voice? Like there are so many different ways that your head can just be, you know, be clouded with all the self-doubt, um, and, and I'll tell you, in as much as you're calling yourself a recovering people pleaser, which I'm also going to like throw my hand up for sure and say that I am the same person and I'm trying to establish boundaries for myself and have been for a long time. And it's hard. You're a parent. Mm -hmm. I'm a parent. Um, you know, I think our identities kind of get lost in that way. So I'm definitely that. But I'm also someone who has got a tr my own internal track record of, you know, kind of beating myself up mm. over my capabilities, my, um, you know, is my voice really a voice that people want to hear? And, um, you know, do I have anything of value to offer whatever community I'm offering it to? So, you know, I think that, that that's something that I work really hard at, mm. um, trying to be really intentional about what I say and what I do and, and make it what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And that's all it's about. There's no, you know, I try very intentionally not to compare what I do. Like when I'm, when I'm working on a project, I, I, I only do research to a point. I'm not going to go out and read everything in that space about that thing um, written by everybody who could have possibly written it. Um, because then I'm starting to compare myself to that mm. person, those people, um, you know, I kind of get the information I need and then I retreat. And I do my thing my way. So mm. it's such yeah. a balance to strike, right? Because yeah, it's hard. You know, I, I want to talk to you about this a little bit. And it's it's almost cliched at this point, but like that idea of not comparing yourself, not beating yourself up, which obviously is a good thing, right? You could take that to such an extreme and the, the implications of that, the damage, toxicity of it, so bad. But obviously, if you go too far the other way and never beat yourself up and never compare, it's hard to hold yourself accountable. It's hard to push yourself to drive to be better. And finding that balance and like I, I've asked this question before on the show, and, and I honestly just don't think there is a, a great answer for it because it is a fluid, dynamic balancing act that you have to do, um, because obviously if you go too far in one direction or the other, it's a problem. But figuring out how to do that and stay mentally healthy and feeling happy and authentic and true to yourself, but also like accomplished and driven and ambitious in what you need to do. There's days where I'm like, that's an impossible task. Like it's literally impossible to do. How, how have you it tried is. to do that? Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, sure. Of course, I'm 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 always very conscious of trying to do that. But you know, we can also get very overwhelmed and sidetracked by putting all of our attention and effort into trying to do that. Then we mm -hmm. all of a sudden are so, you know, overwhelmed by trying to maintain that balance that that throws us out of balance. So it's and like that to it too. Yeah. 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 It's like a catch 22. It's kind of crazy in that way. So, you know, I think I, here's the thing. 
for me anyway. And I, I, I can't certainly can't speak to anybody else, but I feel like what a lot of my life has become now in, in my search for that balance is giving myself a lot of grace mm. in, in arriving there. Maybe some days I am in certain ways and maybe other days I am in different ways. I'm, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I achieve that um, where I need it most. And I think that that's, that's kind of what it's become for me, the essence of it, of maintaining that balance. It's not maintaining full, complete, total Zen-like balance in your life, because like you said, that's like, that's unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Nobody's, nobody's going to get there. But I think that, you know, in those isolated moments, whether it be, uh, you know, um, in the way that we are are trying to engage with our kids or the way that we're trying to engage professionally or a project that we're working on, like, obviously, do the best you can with with what you have at your disposal and put your best self into it. And, and that's okay. That's enough. Mm -hmm. Like, that is enough. We do not have to constantly be overachievers never take a sick day never consider our 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 own selves always consider everyone else like um i've i've started considering myself and prioritizing my own mental health more in the last year probably more in the last 6 months than i have in my entire life mm. i think as a way of giving myself grace as i try to achieve balance what was the, this is going to sound like a, a corny question, but I, I mean it more deep. Like what was the hardest thing you had to give up or trade off to make? Cause it's time, right? You have to have time mm -hmm. and, and resource to, to give to yourself and your mental yep. health. You have to trade things off to do that. There are other things you were giving time or resource to, whether it be family, friends, job. What was the hardest thing you had to trade off on that to be like, you know what? I'm letting that go because this has to be the thing. I need to focus more on me. Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like all of those, it's all of those things. I mean, you know, for me, I, I I think most parents would probably put themselves in the same bucket. Like I have two daughters, they're both grown adult women and they, because of COVID are here, are about to go on a plane with my daughter, moving her to Japan in less than two weeks. That's cool. So, yeah. So I'm not going to be as readily accessible for her, but my other daughter, my younger daughter is, is still here. But again, like works totally independent, grown out of school, all those things. So you know, they don't need me in quite the same ways. So it's not like I'm consciously pulling back from them. I'm just letting them have their space to do mm -hmm. more. The way that I think that I found myself doing what you're suggesting is, is really um, probably where my friends are concerned. Mm -hmm. um, I've always put everybody in my life before myself, whether it be my parents, my immediate family, my husband, my kids, um, and I would lump my friends right into that. And um, a very great friend of mine, um, my uh, she's the the um, contributing author on the book, the last book that I wrote. Um, she's a psychotherapist here in in Boston, Deb Gansenberg. Her, she's famous for saying this. Like in every conversation, somehow she says this: when you say no to um, when you say yes to someone else, you're saying no to yourself. Yeah. And that is I that has resonated in my head from the very first time she ever said that to me. And I think it was really her saying that as often as she did for all the time that we were like on the radio together and writing books together. I just really internalized that. So mm -hmm. the the place I found myself doing that more often was with, was with friends and not, you know, 
not showing up any less for my friends, I don't feel like, but prioritizing, I guess. Does that make sense? It does. It totally makes sense. So much yeah. so that I'm going to put my people pleaser hat back on to press <laughs> to press on this. Because, And again, I to- hopefully you understand the spirit of this. My people pleaser hat comes on, right? And I hear what you're saying and the words make sense. And that phrase is the right phrase. Mm. But it, there's this voice in my head that's like, but that's what being a good person is. Like you be there for your friends. Like when as soon as you pull back, as soon as you say that, no, like you're missing the point of what it is to be a good person. And like... There's an intellectual part of me that could speak back to that voice and be like, let's be reasonable here. Exactly as you're saying, you can't always give, you have to worry about yourself. Mm. But that voice comes back and is like, but what if this is that moment where your friend needs you? What if this is that moment where like, no, no, this is where you show up and show that you're the person you are. Mm-hmm. And I struggle with that deeply still. And and again, in the spirit of it, I don't know that you ever fully get over that, but like, how do you, does that kick in for you? Oh my God. Yeah. I I mean, I have always been of that mindset. I am still of that mindset. Like it is some of the hardest work that I've ever done on myself to allow myself to step back in those moments where maybe I'm just, I know like without even thinking twice, I know that I've taken on too much. I'm trying to be all the things to all the people and, and you know, your heart and your intention, everything is in the right place and you're doing it out of, out of love and, and caring and, and all those things line up, you know, in, in the right ways, but I'm depleting myself and I'm maybe not meeting my own obligations. Maybe I'm on deadline, but I drop everything to go be there for the friend to drive this person here or show up for that one there. And that's what I started recognizing when I started recognizing that I was, you know, dropping some of my own balls, then, then, then I would revert back to the old oxygen mask in the airplane Mm -hmm. image where it's like, you're no good to anybody else around you. It doesn't matter who they are, the closest people, acquaintances, anyone in your circle of influence, you are no good to anybody if you're not any good to yourself. Mm. And that's, that was sobering to me because I'm like, well, you know, okay, great. I showed up for that person for them, but now what I'm responsible for is a disaster. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. now where does that leave me? So, you know, again, it was that, that kind of put me in, in the headspace of prioritizing things Mm. a little bit more. And, um, and also, you know, and I, I understand so fundamentally and so deeply what you struggle with because I struggle with the same thing and you don't want to let anybody down and you want to be that person. And, I, and I've always been that way. And I, I've asked myself at times, what would happen if you didn't show up? Hmm. Like, would they, would they find a way to get to where they need to go? Would they, wh- what if I had to, what if I were in their shoes, what would I do? Like, then it's like, okay, well, do you also want to make someone so codependent hmm. that they they can't function or you can't function unless you're needing each other? So, you know, I, I think, again, I think that's where the grace, giving ourselves grace comes into play. And that's, I think that's how you reconcile with that. So I've been having a lot of conversations of late on the show with people with, you know, religious values that they come with and and not sure what yours are and we can go wherever you're comfortable going with this. But that grace word keeps sticking out to me because in one of the more recent conversations, um, we were talking a lot about Jesus and kind of Jesus's message. And mm-hmm. I'm personally, I, I don't know where I sit on if God exists or not. I was raised Catholic, but I'm not sure where I sit. And mm-hmm. it's a funny thing because somebody said to me at one point, like, 
there's a weird kind of Judeo-Christian like influence on our culture that suffering is a good thing. Like you should be suffering. And that mm-hmm. thing that you're explaining right now, that suffering of like, I'm juggling so much and things are missing that thought of like, but that's good. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And, be a know, martyr. People, right. Exactly. People often think about Jesus on the cross, but I don't yeah. think people often think enough about grace and how Jesus spoke about that. Yeah. And I think we kind of leave that part out too much. And again, whatever you believe, it could be anything. It's just more yeah. the concept. And it's a funny thing, that grace word, because we all throw it around. We all know it. We know what it is. Mm-hmm. But to truly practice it, particularly for yourself, yeah. it's easily one of the hardest things I've found to do. Oh, yeah. w- without a doubt. I mean, you know, in in terms of like religious beliefs and 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 being able to connect with um you know, with that the word martyr. I mean, I'm Jewish, my family's raised Jewish we have the whole guilt side, <laughs> you know, we have, we have got the whole Jewish guilt piece that's, that's hardwired into our DNA. So, you know, and it's that, it's, it's that, um, you know, ancestral experience of like, always like, you got to show up no matter what, no matter how much it hurts you or inconveniences you, or you, you got, you've got to be there for your people. Um, you know, I have that and I've always had that. And it's a tough, tough thing to navigate because it it almost just implies that there's never a reason why a justifiable reason why why you can step aside or say no or or give someone else the baton or mm-hmm. however you want to say it um you know there's no way to downshift when you're always supposed to be like at max potential mm-hmm. and helping everybody in every way that you can um yeah, I that that whole concept of martyrdom is uh, I'm over it. I'm yeah. I'm so I'm really so over it because I've seen I've seen what it does to people and I've seen how it depletes people. Um I don't I don't think it's it's really I don't think it's a, a very beneficial quality. I don't think it benefits anybody really. Mm. Mm. Um Oof, that's it, interesting. Is it, it creates, I, I, yeah, I have a visceral reaction when you say it viscerally of like, oh, but is that true? Like, is, is that right? Martyrs, martyrs are so good. That's such a big thing. But a quick personal story that ties to this. Um, yeah. I mentioned I have a son. He's nine years old. I, I hope I'm doing well by him. But I, I talk to him about a lot of this stuff because I think it's important. I think it's important for him to learn how to think and understand his feelings and what he's dealing with. And we talk a lot about different things. And, you know, when he's having a tough time at school, as all kids do at times, you know, we'll talk about it. And the other, just the other night I was talking to him and, you know, he, he had a couple things go on one where like a friend was having a tough time and he, and he showed up for them and tried to do the right thing. Um, and another where he was having a tough time and he handled it so beautifully from where I could sit, like kind of like a bullying situation where he didn't respond back aggressively, but he stood his ground and was confident in who he was and really just tried to understand, like, why would you do that from the other person? So anyway, and I remember thinking like, that's so beautiful. And I was telling him, you know, I was telling him that of how good it was. And I found myself thinking very much in the vein of what you're saying, like, I hope you're as happy as you are good because you are a beautiful, good person. And my fear went right to the place of like, I guess I hope you're not martyring yourself though, because I think being part of being a good person is being happy. Like you can't strip that out of it. You should be allowed and have permission to be happy as a good person. Like almost so far as to say in the spirit of the martyr point, like you can't be a good person if you're not happy. Like, cause you're part of the person that should count that if you're being good and helping others, like you have to be part of that. Right. Absolutely. So I, I hear you. Yeah. I, I yeah. get what you're saying with that. Martyrdom. Absolutely. We're, we're entitled to that. We deserve that. Well, that's the balance. Like we can't, we can't expect, I don't care who you are you know socioeconomics i don't care you know where where you live i don't care how much you have you know in terms of like you know um external things yep. 
it doesn't it doesn't matter everyone is is going to have that you know that good and bad experience in life you know there there is no one who skates through without struggle or trauma or um you know any kind of um you know fear or disappointment or that's just life but at the same time too like there is so much beauty and there is i mean that's the whole that's the total human experience is what we're talking about and you can't you can't just live in one in one space or the other um you know i mean i mean look and, and it's funny i well it's not funny but um in terms of taking an absolutely gut-wrenching terrible um you know impossible situation like let's let's get really deep and talk about mm -hmm. something like the holocaust mm -hmm. and talk about holocaust survivors and talk about how many survivors in a situation like they were in stripped of everything lost family members treated like animals i mean all, all everything that happened and you have you hear these conversations that were were taped with people who had survived and said they still found joy. They still, they still prayed. They still kept their humanity. They still, you know, found a way to look through the the tiny window at the blossoming tree and found their joy because they knew that a they were entitled to it and b that it, that existed out there for them and they had to find it. So it's like even in the most extreme situation, I think is what the point I'm trying to make is that you can, um, you know, that joy is there to be found. We may just have to work a little harder to expose it. That's but you know we can't expect to be here without experiencing all of it it's conversations like this that i, I often step back and think about it and be like how slash why is this so complex like the, the the things we're talking about which are which are so fundamental to life and all this stuff as we're talking about it and we're not even fully doing it justice like it's so complicated there's so much mental gymnastics and that sounds like a dismissive term i don't mean that in that way but like well, but it is. You, there is, right? Like, how do you think about that? Do you think if you step back and look at like humanity, human nature, are we overcomplicating it? Or is life really this complicated and we need to embrace the complexity of it and the nuance? That The mistake is when we make it too simple. Or I think the mistake that you could also argue the same point on the other side and say the mistake is actually when we are overcomplicating over it. It's sir. Because yeah. look, what, what, uh, Terry, you and I can, we've known each other for, for what, you know, 47 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's fair to say, or I feel confident saying that you're a good guy with good morals and values and you want to do right by your family, by your child. Um, you know, I think that I think that's an, enough. Like you want to live a good life. You want to offer your your family, your child, your people a good life, those who are closest to you. And I think that that's, it's okay that that's, that's the baseline. Yeah, it's going to fluctuate. Mm. Yeah, there'll be moments where it does get a lot more serious and it gets more intense and it requires, you know, more thought or more effort or more commitment or whatever it is. But I, I think the essence of it is we want, we want to be happy. Mm. We want to thrive. We want to love and be loved. We want to, we want to contribute. We want to be of service. We want, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think the pillars are not complicated at all. Mm. I think situationally, yeah, it gets, it, it gets, it gets intense sometimes, but that's life. Well, here's where I think it gets most 
complex for me and i'm curious your response to this and again let's let's go let's go hit it right on so as you say those things which i appreciate you saying by the way super nice of you to say yeah, where my mind instantly goes when, there's probably the instant place it goes is like oh that feels good like I'm, that's yeah. that's nice of you to say mm-hmm. the next place my mind goes almost instantly is like the 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 twist of life is as soon as i allow those words to infiltrate me and like truly feel like ooh, like i'm pretty good like i'm pretty mm-hmm. good that's where it goes wrong right this twist of why? like why because i don't trust the human mind enough it's not that i think the human mind is always wrong or leads us astray I think it's so easy. There's this gravitational pull towards all the things you're saying, but it ends up working against us sometimes of wanting to feel good, wanting to feel comfortable, feel safe, feel loved, that will spin stories to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if if I hear enough of a story that's like, hey, you're doing a great job. You're a great dad. You're a great person. There's a part of me that hears that and is like, hey, that feels good because I put in a lot of work towards it. But mm-hmm. I'm always hesitant. I'm always cautious because if I let that go too far, my mind will take that and be like, pull back a little bit. You don't have to do all that. That's always my fear, right? Is that our minds are always trying to pull us in a good way, like to comfort and safety and peace. And being a good person, there is some active nature to it. There is some work that has to be done, particularly, right? Like the work you do around inclusivity, around suicide, like that's stuff where you have to give yourself somewhat. And if you let yourself off the hook too easily, like it's hard to be a good person in that way which runs counter a little bit to what you're saying. And it's not to be disagreeable. It's to say like, Hey, let's try and figure this out. No, not at all. Like that, that's the part that makes me think it's hard. It's complex and it's hard. And that suffering comes back in, in a different way of why that's part of life. I wonder for you, this is all really interesting. And I could totally appreciate what you, how you reacted to that, because I'm also someone who I have, like, I thoroughly enjoy giving a compliment where I think the compliment is due. If I don't, I'm not going to say something. I'm not going to blow sunshine mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to blow sunshine. I'm going to make what I say to you or to anybody else, very intentional, very meaningful. And if I say something, and especially if I, if I say it in a way that, you know, is, is, um, you know, intense, I don't mean intense in a bad way. Just if I'm like really mm-hmm. adamant about something and I really believe it. So I, I think, a, I think, where your head goes is probably the same place where my head goes, which is right back to that imposter syndrome, mm. which is like, well, how can I pass? I can't be, how can I be that good? I mean, there are other people. Can I, I can I distinguish a little bit there though? Please. Yeah. I, I don't know that it's that I don't, and it's, even saying this sounds arrogant, but like, it's not that I don't necessarily believe what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's if I allow that belief to sit too strongly it will pull me like even if I am a good person right now and then I start to believe it and I'm like I'm a good person you won't try it will as hard. take my foot off the gas a little bit and my foot but, needs to be on the gas because it's hard to be a good person but there's does too it many though? things pulling us yeah. does it need to does it really need to be on the gas as much as we see this Question. now this is like now we can we could unpack this for another two days yeah. that the the idea that we've all gotten so hyper focused on Produce, 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 show up. Don't take a yes. sick day. Yes. Don't take care of yourself. Take care of everybody else. Show up for everybody but yourself. That's that's where I, I feel like I feel like humanity has kind of peaked in that way. And we've we're figured out like, okay, that's mm. bad. <laughs> that's not yeah. we don't yeah. we don't want to keep tracking in that direction because we're all suffering. So okay, now everyone, you know, we we're we're kind of in the midst of finally, fortunately, a good like self-care movement where people are like, no, mm-hmm. no, no. You don't have to break your back. You don't have to stay up all night. You don't have to give up, you know, your your work life balance to to be successful or to to be impactful. Um, 
what about this though? So I agree with that. Yeah. What about this? Right. Cause I, so I, I agree. I, if, when I say it, it's more in the vein of think of somebody who is hateful towards gay people or black people or whatever group. Right. So that's, that's where my mind goes to that type of person where like, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't know anything for sure, but my, my theory is, or my, my best sense of it is that people are inherently good. We all want to be good. Everything we do, we think we're doing for a good reason. So I think about that person that hates a gay person. And I say, how did they get there? And where I track towards is that it's this phenomenon we're talking about. They've convinced themselves too much that they're a good person. They're a loving person. They're doing it right. They're not questioning themselves enough. And that's what allows, that's the only logical way I can assume they could get there. And that's what I worry about, that type of thing. When I say letting off the gas, it's less about like work-life balance and breaking your back. It's about that questioning to make sure you never get too confident that the beliefs you hold or the way you're approaching life is is implicitly good Mm -hmm. because hate is out there. People do do some amazingly ugly things in this world. And the fear of ever contributing to that in some small way is what keeps that foot on the gas. Yeah, I know. I mean, we have to be diligent. That's the, that's, you know, it's it's like being an anti-racist. We have to be proactive to call ourselves that. We have to be seeking the knowledge. We have to be having the conversations. We have to be, you know, dealing with our own biases. We have to be, you know, we we, we have to be doing the work. Look, yes. just because, look, think of it this way. Think of it this way. I know, I know what you're saying when you're saying you don't want to get, let your foot off the gas. And I feel the same way too but we are entitled to take what we've learned and process it, assimilate it, integrate it. And we're allowed to coast down the hill without our foot on the gas. We're still moving forward. Mm. We're still moving in the right direction, the direction that we want to be going in. But that this is, I'm bringing it right back to grace. This is where we say, okay, we're, we're allowed to reach plateaus and 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 spend some time in those places to get what we can, you know what I mean? To to mm-hmm. internalize what we're working so hard on and and regroup and recharge and energize and then hit the gas again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a like foot to the floor because then I feel like we miss things. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's a that's a really valid point. I, I think. The objective doesn't have to change. The objective could still be to try and be the best version of ourselves, to try and help bring more, you know, light, love into the world, reduce hate, anti-racism, you know, wherever it is. That objective doesn't have to change. And in some ways, what you're saying allows you to better get to that objective. It feels counterintuitive because it feels like we got to push, we got to go, we got to fight. And there's times for that, right? That you do have to do that. You do have to question yourself. But if you only do that, you're going to be less effective, less efficient at getting to that objective. And I think that's, for my mind, that's like a super logical mind. That's one of the best answers you can give because it's like, ah, okay, efficiency. It's more efficient that way. It just feels, it feels wrong to an extent. That's back where we were before, but. Yeah, no, I get it. And I, and I like being cut from that very same cloth. I totally understand what you say and why you say it. And I feel so similarly I, I really do. And I think a lot of it is just, you know, is just like personal observations of myself. Forget about anybody else in the world, how I operate. And when when I'm just, you know, so like right off the jump, I want to get, you know, I want to do it all. I want to help everyone. I, I, I don't want to let up. I want to learn as much as I can learn, contribute as much as I can contribute. Like that is not sustainable. 
I mean, that, that, that will, that desire, that, that, you know, that intrinsic need to be a good person, like that doesn't ever have to change. Like our baseline, what you and I are talking about is not ever changing our baseline. We are, you know, we are constantly building on that, but we don't have to put the entire side of the building up in one day. Mm. We could still mm. add brick by brick or a section here, a section there. And just because we may um, alter our pace doesn't mean that our momentum has changed and our, and our, and our attitude has changed and our, you know, our, our impact has changed. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. And it's why I love these conversations because there's something super deep and profound in that of, of, and that's why I think back to the simplicity versus complexity, I still don't know the answer, but to me, I lean more in complexity because what you just explained, like there's a complexity to it of understanding how that needs to function, but it makes sense. It doesn't answer your question directly. It does make sense. It makes a lot of sense in thinking of it that way. So yeah. Yeah, I do get that. And it's, it's uniquely personal, you yeah. know, like me throttling down would look different than you throttling down would look different than, you know, anyone else around us. And that's where know, authenticity that's, comes back in. Well, that's authenticity. And that's also individuality mm-hmm. because, um, you know, we all may approach things and process things and act on things in, you know, such fundamentally different ways, even if we're trying to achieve the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I that's think, okay. You know, yeah, that's it okay. is okay. It's, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. All you right, know? so let's let's backtrack a little bit. For, for so we're, I'm, we're talking for however long we've been talking. Um, yes. the, the insights, the points, the struggles, the awareness, the all of it. Where did this come from for you? Was this was this always? Yeah. If I talked to Lisa ten years ago, twenty years ago, is it the same person? Like, was it something that you were born with? Was instilled in you at a young age, or how'd you get to this this point? Um, I mean, you're talking about my value in particular, or are you talking about just, no, I'm talking about, um, I mean, that's the underpinning of it, but to have this, none of us have the world figured out, but to have this grasp and understanding of the world, how to think about it, how to think about, you know, when to get one to push, when to pull back all that stuff, that perspective. Yeah. Is that something that you feel like you were fortunate enough to have from a young age? Somebody taught you it or. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily know if someone specific taught it to me although I, I mean if I could credit anybody I would credit my mom because she's just um she has just this contentment about her you know what I mean my my mother just um has always seen things for what they truly are always seen the beauty always appreciated and valued and and focused on the good in a situation so I think that that from a very young age that was probably you know the earliest influence that maybe sparked that in me because Mm. I loved seeing her that way. I loved the feeling of being that way. Mm. Um, You know, I, I had, I mean, I had a a slightly unusual upbringing. I mean, I I was an only child, which is not unusual at all, but I lost my dad when I was 10 years old. Mm. Um, At the time I, I lost him. He was my, he was my best friend in the world as close as I am with my mom. And I, I certainly am. She's my person in this world. He was my person back then. So um, that loss was devastating to me. Mm -hmm. And that grew me up really, really fast um, without any other siblings to really lean into. My mother was grieving. I was grieving. um, And then, you know, and, and it, it wasn't until I was 45 years old. So 35 years later, I found out my dad actually had taken his own life. So that 
like layered a whole different set of stuff on top of another set of stuff that I had spent my life, um, you know, kind of grappling with. Um, so I, I think, but if I trace it all back, I was very acutely aware at a very young age of the fragility of life mm. and the beauty of life. My dad was an outdoorsman. He was just, a, you know, peak bagger, mountain climber. I did all those things with him when I was a kid. I, I developed such a deep, deep love of movement and nature and the outdoors. And, and, and you know, it's, it sounds totally cliche, but like stopping to actually smell those flowers and look at that sunrise and, and listen to those birds. And, and, and that's how I've always spent my life. I've always taken, because of my dad and my mom was the same way, such incredible delight in the simplicity of life. Mm. Um, and it's carried me along as, throughout my life. I've hopefully given that to, you know, pass that along to my my own daughters who mm. have a very similar appreciation. I know my husband feels the same way, but um, I mean, I've always been someone, I've, I've always been a seeker. Mm. You know, I've always... I've always questioned everything from the time I was little. I used to spend way more time with adults. I used to, even before my dad passed away, I used to just love to connect with adults because they had so much to say and they had so much knowledge and they knew everything about everything. <laughs> so I was always like the annoying little kid, just like constantly questioning everybody. I've always been that way. Um, and as much as I love questioning, the thing I love even more is listening. Mm -hmm. So when I'm involved in a conversation like this like i i could honestly clear the deck for the rest of my night and keep talking to you about don't tell me don't things. tell me well, i know but but that's <laughs> my point like you know i i love i love understanding how other people's wiring impacts the way that they move around the world so mm. um that's a really long answer to your question but i have always been like this definitely um mom was a big factor losing a dad early was a factor um yeah but beautiful answer i mean that I, i'm like you i i try and only mean what i say say what i mean i mean that yeah. that's a beautiful i mean obviously there's there's horrible things in it too but overall a beautiful answer i, I want to ask about your dad and, and the suicide work that you're doing now a little bit um whatever you're comfortable talking with but before Always. we before we go Anything. there i'm curious what about i, I I'll, I'll presume this you correct me i sense a fighter in you as well right we talked about it a little bit how about that part of it that sense of like fighting, trying to bring more goodness in the world, that part of it, is that also traced back in the same ways or is that where that? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Both of, again, both of my parents, um, you know, modeled just always in their life, um, you know, putting yourselves, putting ourselves um, out there for the benefit of other people, helping other people, um, you know, being kind, that gracious, they were just such gracious human beings and, you know, there isn't anything that either of my parents wouldn't do for someone they knew, someone that was important, who was important to them, someone they didn't know, someone mm -hmm. they'd never met. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, I, I think I've always wanted to, to walk through life in that same way, um, kind of giving back and, you know, being of service and, um, you know, I've always wanted to make an impact. Like I, I, you know, I, I've worn a bracelet for so many years right now and the single word on it is impact mm. because that's how I've always felt. It's funny if, if my husband, Dave was in here right now, he would say, um, if I, if I admitted to you, which I'm going to do right now, that 
I've, I've literally spent my entire, definitely my entire adult life. And he and I have been together since we were 17. So I've, ever since he's the day he's known me, I've always been trying to find the way that I'm going to change the world mm. that I'm going to, and I'm not, this is not a self-serving, like I have all these great things to, to, to fix everything. That's not it. I just have always wanted to do something to impact the world in mm. a positive way. And, and it's interesting how when you pay attention to the signs you're given, the, the the direction that you are sometimes thrown in, the things that happen to you that lead you to places that you never expected. I, I do a lot of paying attention to that. Um, my whole life changed when I found out my dad took his life. And, and I don't mean for the reasons you might expect in terms of like, I was shattered. It, I fell apart. Um, you know, my past was illegitimized. I, I, yeah. Yes to all of those things, but it also put me on a totally different path. I mean, I've been a parenting author for 10 years and my focus now is suicide awareness and prevention. And I'm doing as much speaking and writing and advocating and crisis counseling as I possibly can. And so that goes actually back to what you and I talked about a half an hour ago about how, you know, life is so clearly split down the middle with the good stuff and the shitty stuff. And we have to find a way to navigate both of those things mm. and extract, you know, the good from the bad. Yeah. So, yeah. I was, I was going to, I want to ask you what might sound like a strange question, but, but I'll ask it intentionally. What's, what's your relationship with suicide? And and I mean that in this, like, let me leave it at that and just see how you respond to that. Yeah. I know it's a weirdly um, worded question, but I no, think it's there's not. a good reason for it. No, I, I really appreciate you asking that question because it's not a question I get asked very often. And I actually have an awful lot to say about it. So my relationship with suicide has changed dramatically over the years so I've had uh, unfortunately it's it's not just my dad that I lost to suicide um shortly before my dad passed away my cousin who lived up the street from me and was probably about eight years older than than I was at the time um he took his life and that was the very first experience that I ever had my parents were very open and honest with me and that was the very first experience that I ever had with it I, I was so young that I, I was kind of aware of it. They were honest. We had conversations about it. It was all appropriate. Um, I internalized it as much as I could. I didn't really form opinions one way or another. Um, but I also lost a very dear friend um, who I we've been friends since we were five years old. Um, and he took his life a little over a year ago. And that was incredibly sudden. And in the middle of those two experiences, I found out that my dad, about you know 10 years ago, that my dad had in fact taken his life. So it, I, I've had these like touch points throughout my life where I've been very deeply connected to suicide. Probably when I was in my twenties and I could really kind of formulate my opinions, like, you know, what do I really believe in life? That was one of them. Yeah. I always thought it was an incredibly selfish act, mm -hmm. which is a very, very normal reaction mm -hmm. to suicide. People even, even nowadays with how mainstream talking about suicidal ideations and mental health, is it's very, very normal for someone to say, well, that's so selfish of you to even think that. What I've realized, and it was through just a ton of, of you know, self-reflection, understanding mental illness, 
um, you know, having a, a daughter who has had issues with, you know, anxiety and depression, um, understanding her and her mind and how that worked within her um, kind of genetic code, um, seeing how therapy and medication changed her life. I mean, all, there were all these bits and pieces that I was drawing on to kind of redefine how I felt about it. And I, I finally ultimately arrived after an awful lot of work and understanding and just deep diving. I finally came to this realization, which is so basic and simple. I can't believe that I didn't believe it before. It's not in any way, shape or form a selfish act. Suicide is a mental illness. Mental illness is an illness. Let's take out the word mental. It is an illness. It's, you wouldn't fault someone for cancer. You wouldn't fault someone for, um, you know, heart disease. You would, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's no different. And, and I know it's so simple, simple and basic. And that most people would, would not need to arrive at that. They would know that intrinsically, but I had to arrive there. Mm. Um, I had my own notions about it. So now, um, now that I understand that, now that I have that different connection to suicide, that different internalization of what it means, um, you know, I, I, I understand, I think a little bit better what someone who may be in that headspace might need, um, what to say, what not to say, um, you know, and, and it's because of that, that, uh, you know, I, I just, this, this past year spent so much time getting, um, certified to be a crisis counselor on, you know, on a crisis line and yeah. And it's continued to change my life. And, you know, it's there, there are times in our life and I'm sure you've probably had these, these times, um, I bet, for you, one, this podcast is one of them that you do because you do it so well. And it seems like this is the thing that you were supposed to be doing. I've always been a writer. I've always loved writing. It's one of the things I love most about what I do in this world. I have probably never had the feeling of being in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time, as I do when I'm crisis counseling. Can you tell me a little bit? And what, what does it feel like? What, what do you feel? How do you know that? I know that because, so I'm a, I'm a, a real like textbook empath. I'm like a, like when you read highly sensitive human definition, that's me. Um, I feel everything. My wiring is very, very, very exposed. If, if I can like give you that analogy, like there's no coding. I feel <laughs> everything, the vibrations, the good, the bad, the sad. Um, I don't know what it is like my family my girls and my husband my you know my mom everybody was super incredibly supportive of me doing this but they were also very cautious and concerned like are you going to be able to handle this are you going to be able to like how are you going to have someone who may potentially be an imminent risk of suicide like an in-progress suicide which has happened multiple times how how are you going to handle that you know can you handle that and it's because I don't know, I, there's something that only I understand. So I, I wish I could better mm -hmm. articulate it to you, but when I'm on the phones and I'm talking with people, I've always, it's always been very important to me to hold space for people. And it's something that I tend to do a lot. And it's a place where I feel like I belong. I feel very comfortable in that place. And this goes back to me saying before that yep. I love listening. 
I love understanding what's on your mind and what's motivating your decisions and your feelings. And I just, I'm all in when I'm on the, the phone lines, um, you know, whether it's something simple, someone's, you know, talking about like, you know, their parents is a 16 year old and their parents are pissing them off or they're coming out or they're homicidal or they're suicidal or what, whatever the case may be, because it could be any of those things. Um, I don't want to run from it. Mm. I want to be there and I want to be able to support them. I guess that's the best definition I can give you. Yeah. And, I don't and, want to run from it. I want to run to it. And it's almost, again, I'm not going to speak for you in any ways, but I would imagine there's almost some sensation of like, it's not a choice. Like it, it no, is a no, choice. No, no. It, it is a choice in the, in the, in the very obvious, simple way, but it's not because if you run the calculation, if you play it out the way you are, mm. there's people suffering that you might be able to help. Right. And, and you, and it's, it's you can't just stop there. Cause this goes to where we were before, right? You could give too much then you could give you. And then that's no, but you're thoughtful enough and aware enough about yourself that as best as you can be sure of it, you can handle it. Like you've done the work to handle it yep. and you put yourself in the best position. And if somebody's suffering and you can help, like, is, is that a choice? I, I It shouldn't be. It's right? not, it's right. not, not for me. Nope, nope, nope. It's not at all. And it's, and it's interesting too, because my mother reminds me of this every single time, you know, she knows what my shift schedule is. And so she's so cute. You know, she'll always the night, they're really early mornings for me. And so the night before she'll always either call me or send me a little text, you know, good luck tomorrow. Like mm. all you have to do is, you know, is help one person, mm. you know, and, and, and it makes it all worth it. One mm. person. And so every time, I mean, there, at this point, there are like hundreds of one, you know, mm. with, with those mm. people at this point. And, and I'm grateful for that. And, you know, look, there could very, very realistically come a time where I don't have the capacity to help someone because as we all know there are so many different degrees of mental illness and it, it, you know sometimes if if someone does not feel that there is another option in their life does not feel that they you know there is any more that they can do they are going to do what they are going to do and not you or i or anyone else doesn't matter where your training comes from or you know how hard you work at it sometimes you can't save everyone and I have not, fortunately, I knock on the wood when I say that, but, you know, I've not been in that situation, but it's real. It's a realistic possibility. Part of that um, calculation we just talked about, you know, that could happen. And you've accepted that again, even with that, it's still, you have to do it. Yep. The juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. That's amazing. Really. Honestly, I mean that. That, that. that is an amazing thing when you really look at it through that deep, thoughtful, reflective lens on what it takes of you to do it and why you're still doing it and the impact being made. It really is. And and I can only imagine um, those conversations. I mean, is there anything you've, I want to say, well, it sounds stupid and corny to say, but like about suicide or even just about humanity that you've learned, because that you're, you're, you're in perhaps the most intense conversation that exists on this planet in some ways, right? It's at least up in the top three, somebody oh, in that position, the ability to see something in that and understand something about people. What, what have you taken away from it? You know, I, th I think, and again, this, this kind of, this kind of speaks to what you and I were talking about a little while ago. I, th I think we all just want to be loved. We want to love and be loved. We want to see and be seen. And I think that's kind of at the crux of every call that I take, regardless of whether maybe it's someone exploring their, their, you know, their sexuality or their gender or their coming out, well, it all funnels back to, I just want to be seen and heard and, and loved for who I am. Um, you know, if, if it's someone who, 
you know, has mental illness and is, is thinking about taking their life. It's, you know, it's a cry. It's that's the, you know, they're crying out for help. They want to be seen and heard and validated. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, a trained, um, therapist. I, I'm I'm a crisis counselor who for sure has had a you know a very intense and very significant and long term training, but you know, I'm not a psychotherapist. So I'm not the one giving those answers and those recommendations and those diagnoses. That's not what I'm doing. I mean I'm 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 holding space. I'm I'm making sure that the person on the other end of the phone feels like they they are in charge of their own agency. Um, you know, they're being heard. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that's just what, you know, that's the biggest takeaway, regardless of, you know, how intense the call may be, or how chill the call may be. Mm. Um, people just want to connect, people mm. just want to be seen and heard. Mm. Well, I'll put a bow on this, maybe, hopefully not, you know, like, in a contrived way as we come towards the end. Yeah. And then I'll let you any response you have. But that brings me back to where we were before about that foot on the gas, because that's that's a big, that's a beautiful articulation, a horrible, but beautiful articulation of the source of that, right? It, somebody just wants to feel seen. They want to feel heard. They want to feel loved. They, they don't want the suffering in that moment. They need it to feel okay. Mm-hmm. And that in most instances is, is human made, right? That the reason why that isn't happening is because a human didn't do something or did do something that they did or didn't have to do, right? Yep. And that questioning, that sensation of like never feeling like, okay, I've got this is rooted somewhat in that because there's so much harm and damage that could be done. And that doesn't, that's not me trying to revert back to being like the foot always has, I still believe what you yeah. said about, you know, you have to do it for it. Um, but I think it, again, it speaks to that complexity of life a little bit for me of like trying to balance and manage all this, right? Where we started in the beginning of the conversation of how do you just be yourself, which should be the easiest of things. If that's hard, then this stuff has to be somewhat hard. Yeah. But I'll say, Lisa, firstly, I love this conversation, beautiful conversation um, for so many reasons and, and appreciate you and what you're doing for so many reasons. But Thank your you. ability to marry like the logical understanding and just what it is with the more, you know, emotional, intuitive piece of it, and draw out these insights that kind of touch in both of them, to try and make a difference in the world. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I, I, I'm so grateful to have you on really. I am. Well, I, I appreciate you right back for the same things for the same reasons, because you're, you're out there, we're both seekers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're both trying to make a measurable impact on the quality of not only our own lives, but on the quality of, of everyone's life around us. And like, that's it. That's the essence of all of it. That's, that's what we're here to do. And, and, you know, we're all charged with doing that in our own very unique ways. And and we don't always know what that way is, which is why, you know, we need, we need to be paying attention Mm -hmm. and, you know, we need to be saying yes. One of the things um, this probably is, I've done this to a fault, but, um, one of the things I almost always did when I was younger was just, I always said yes to any opportunity because you just never knew what that would expose, what it would bring you to, um, who it would bring you to. Um, you know, and I, I get the feeling you're exactly the same way. Um, you just, you know, we just, we just want to understand and, and, and truly benefit from the human experience and make mm-hmm. sure everyone else around us is doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Beautiful way to end it. Beautiful way to end it. And and Lisa, you know, I, I mentioned in the intro, I put it in there, links to the work you're doing. If people are interested, the books, obviously. Um, and, and my hope is when people get to hear you in long form like this, they're even more interested in that. But um, I'll, I'll have all links to that. But again, thank you a ton for, for being yeah. on, for doing what you're doing.
Eric, thank you right back. And um, you got to keep doing what you're doing because um, this is this is just very quickly become one of my favorite podcast interviews. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. I appreciate that. All right. Hey, you have a good holiday. rest of your night. Yeah, you too. You too. Thanks.